you did it again. You swore to yourself the last time that you did it that you would never do it again because you knew it was wrong and you knew it wasn't worth it and you hated the guilt and the shame that crashed over you afterward. But here you are again. You did it again. And what's worse is this is not the first time that you've sworn to yourself that you would never do it again. You've been through this cycle so many times that you've lost count. You sin, you feel guilty, you ask God to forgive you, you promise never to do it again. You go a day, a week, a month, keeping that promise, and then you fall again. It's frustrating to be in that cycle because at one level, you don't even want to do the thing you keep doing. There's a part of you that hates it. And yet, you keep coming back to it. It's also confusing because you thought that once you became a Christian, it would be easier not to sin. But in some ways, it seems like it's gotten harder not to sin. Has anybody else ever felt that way? Is there anyone who can help us if we are feeling that way? Is there anyone who understands why this keeps happening and why we feel so powerless? There is. The Apostle Paul knows how that feels. The Apostle Paul shares that experience with all of us who've been trapped in what feels like an endless cycle of failure and sin. If you'll turn with me uh, to Romans chapter 7, I want you to see uh, how Paul describes this experience. And if the picture that I painted resonated with you, then I think Paul's words will resonate with you as well. And so I want to read for you as a portion of Romans 7, uh, verses 13 to 20. And here's what he says. He says, Did that which is good, talking about the law, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now, before we jump into the details of these verses, um, there's something I want to be clear about up front. There is some debate about whether Paul is speaking of his experience as a Christian in these verses, or whether he's speaking about the experience of someone who's not yet a Christian. Right? Um, and there are arguments on both sides. 
those who uh, would want to say this can't be Paul talking about his experience as a Christian, they would probably point you to verse 14, where Paul says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. And they would say, how could Paul say that about himself? How could Paul say that he's of the flesh and that he's sold under sin? He just told us in Romans chapter 6 that we are no longer enslaved to sin. So uh, that doesn't make sense that Paul would then turn around and say that he's sold under sin. Well, I think there's a good explanation for why he can say that, and I'll hopefully show that to you later as we go. On the other side, those who say, I think Paul is talking about genuine Christian experience here, and that's where I fall, uh, would probably point you to verse 22. This is a little bit further than we're going this morning, but it's part of the same train of thought. In verse 22, Paul says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, And then he goes on to say, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And so I would say, and I think others would say, I can't imagine somebody who's not a Christian saying, verse 22, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. I don't think anybody loves God's word, loves God's law, who's not a Christian. So, for me, the balance falls on the side of Paul speaking out of his experience as a believer in Jesus Christ. And therefore, his experience helps explain our experience when we as believers struggle with sin and, and struggle to understand why we can't seem to overcome some of the things that we struggle with, some of the things that we continue to do. But... I tell you that not everybody interprets it that way, so as we're going, you, you look at the scriptures for yourself, and if you find the other explanation more persuasive, more in line with scripture, go with that. But I have to preach it one way or the other, and so I'm going to preach it the way that I um, am convinced is most in line with what Paul is trying to say. So he begins here in verse 13 by talking about the goodness of the law And the sinfulness of sin. Now he's already been talking about this somewhat already in chapter 7. Remember he's told us that in Christ we have died to the law. We now have new life where we can bear fruit for God. And he's responding to this objection that he knows someone's going to raise. Where they say, Paul, the way you talk about the law, it sounds like the law is a bad thing. And so in verses 7 through 12, he was making very clear, I do not believe the law is a bad thing. The law is a good thing. The law is a gift to us from God. But sin, when it meets the law, bad things happen. And that's not the law's fault. That's sin's fault. Look how he says it in verse 13. He says, did that which is good then bring death to me? Remember he said that the the law promised life. But the commandment that promised life ended up bringing death because sin hijacked the law and, and he violated the commandment and so the sentence upon him was death. So he says, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means it was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that, and notice this, in order that sin might be shown to be sin. In other words, here, so here's what he's saying. The law is good. God says to you, love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What complaint could anybody raise against those kinds of things? Of course we should love our neighbors. Of course we should love our Creator. Right? Love the one who sustains our life, who saves us, and so on. There's no room for any complaint against those laws whatsoever. But, how often, when we hear the law, or we're aware of the law, you know, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. There are some of our neighbors, when we hear that law, we don't want to love them, we just want to snarl. Right? Oh, that guy? Are you serious? And we don't want to love, we want to grumble, we want to complain, we, want, we end up sinning. Right? We end up doing the exact opposite of the law, what the law says, not because the law is not good, but so that we will see how <laughs> sinful sin really is. Right? Uh, if the law can, I mean, excuse me, if, the, if sin can take something as good as the command to love your neighbor and turn it into an occasion for you to sin and curse and grumble and gossip and all the rest. When you see yourself doing that, you become aware of how dark the sin in you really is. God is not asking you to do something um, crazy, right? Or anything that ought to be terribly hard. And, you know, the, the most obvious examples of these kinds of things are, are things that we see in our kids, but we see them in adults, too. We just are better at hiding them than, than kids are because um, we, a lot of the things that we think and feel, we just know better than to say out loud, but they're still there, right? Um, you see your kid react violently against something that they don't want to do. Ah, I don't want to clean my room right now. I was watching my show. And they'll say it out loud. And you and I will feel the same thing. Right? Oh, I don't really want to uh, get up and do this right now, but I'm not going to say it, at least most of the time, right? I'm going to do it, but I'm still, you're still feeling the same thing you know your kids are feeling when they kick against the goads, right? Um, and when that happens, right, part of what Paul is saying is, when that happens, that is exposing how sinful sin is. Right? When, when you're expected to do something basic, something that ought to be obvious, something that ought to be simple, something that you know is good, right? you, can, you can't complain against the requirement. You know that it's good, and yet there's something in you that refuses to do it. That's... That's how sinful sin is. That's how warped and twisted um, sin is, right? So um, that's what he says. That's why he says that this happened in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure, so that we would recognize how dark uh, the nature of sin really is. So the so the the problem is not with the law. The problem is with sin. The law did not bring death. Right? The law promised life to those who would keep the law, but sin deceived us and persuaded us not to keep the law, and so that's why we experience death instead. Sin takes 
God's thou shalt not and whispers in our ear, don't you think you should though? Don't you think if somebody's telling you not to that that's exactly the thing that you want to do? Don't you think that's probably where the good life is and someone's trying to keep it from you? That shows the sinfulness of sin. So, the, the way sin corrupts or twists the law in our life shows how bad sin is. And then Paul explains further um, why the law is not the problem, but that there is a problem within us, starting in verse 14. He explains, for we know that the law is spiritual. Right? Meaning, it's of the Spirit, or related to the Holy Spirit. One uh, commentator said that this is basically an affirmation of the law's divine origin. In other words, we know the law comes from God. It comes from the Holy Spirit. The law is spiritual. There's nothing wrong with the law. Right? The law is, is breathed out by God, like 2 Timothy 3.16 says about all Scripture. Right? The law is breathed out by God. So we know the problem can't be with the law, because God is good, and the law comes from God, and therefore the law is good. But I, on the other hand, Paul says, I am of the flesh sold under sin. I'm not spiritual in the way that the law is. I am fleshly, and I am sold under sin. Now again, how can Paul say this when he's just said in Romans chapter 6 that he, uh, he and all who belong to Christ have been set free from sin? Uh, we've died with Christ and been raised with Him so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We've been set free from sin. How then can Paul say in the very next chapter, I am of the flesh, sold under sin. How does that work? Well, the short answer is, you have to take Romans 6 and Romans 7 and Romans 8 all together to describe the experience of Christians. Right? So Romans chapter 6, Paul says, in Christ, our old nature has died. We've been brought to life. We are no longer enslaved to sin. So, don't sin anymore. Then in chapter 7, Paul says, but here's the deal. Here's what we all know. We still sin. We hate it. We don't want to. But we've still got this sin nature. We've still got this sin dwelling inside of us. And so often what we find ourselves doing is the very thing we don't want to do. Well, Paul, how are we going to break free from that? How is that ever going to come to an end? Romans chapter 8 you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, and one day that, um, that groaning that we all experience, that angst, that longing for creation to be made new, that is going to come to pass, and we know we're all going to share in it because nothing, neither death nor life nor angels nor powers, nor nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So it's a, it's a an, as somebody said, an already not yet. You've already been set free from sin, but not yet fully set free from sin. You already have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, but you're not so totally fueled by the Spirit that you no longer give in to sin. Romans chapter 7 describes um, the reality that we still experience of sin despite the fact that God's salvation has already 
um, come over us and taken root in us, and the Spirit has already begun to dwell in us, and yet that we have not yet experienced that salvation in the fullness that we will experience when Christ returns. We no longer sin. We no longer die. We no longer suffer. Right, so, if you try to take just Romans 6, right? if you try to take just Romans 6 and ignore Romans 7, then you might be inclined to think, if I'm still sinning, there's something wrong with me. Because Romans 6 says, I'm not a slave to sin. If you take just Romans 7 and not Romans 6, you might think, well, I mean, I'm going to sin. I mean, so I I might as well just get used to it. You've got to take them both together. Together, um, they help us make sense of why we have this new identity, this new life, and yet we can't seem to live up to who we know we are now in Christ. So uh, he goes on to say in verse 15, that he is a deeply divided person. And this, we see this not just in Romans 7, but beyond in the rest of the New Testament. Verse 15 he says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. There again, I think is a line you can't put in the mouth of anybody except a Christian. Because unbelievers are not really cut up and conflicted about their sin. They're pretty comfortable with it. As long as they don't get caught, as long as they don't think anybody you know, thinks less of them because of the things that they're doing, as long as, they think, as long as their friends are all doing the same kind of things, they don't really feel all that bad about it. But a believer says, I don't, I don't get it. I, this is not the kind of person that I want to be. I want to follow Jesus. I want to love my husband, my wife. I want to love my kids. I want to love my neighbor. I want to be a good church member. I want to do all the things that God tells me to do, but I keep doing things that I hate. I keep saying things that I wish I hadn't said. I keep taking my anger out on people that don't deserve it, and I don't know why I do it. I I keep acting in ways and feeling in ways and thinking in ways that don't make sense to me as a Christian. I don't understand why I do these things. Because if you ask me on paper, I don't want to be that kind of person. I don't want to do those kinds of things. If you could give me a pill that would make it possible for me to be sure that I would never do this thing again, whatever it is, I would take it in a heartbeat. I'd be glad to be rid of this. Because I hate it. And yet here I am again. Doing it again. I don't understand. It's not that different from what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. Before he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Remember he says that the flesh and the Spirit are in opposition to one another. Right? And so there's this conflict raging inside of us. Because we still have our old sinful nature. And now we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. And they are at odds with one another. And so we are conflicted. And so Paul says, you've got to walk by the Spirit. And then you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. But the desires of the flesh are there. And the Spirit is there. And you're in a battle. You're in a war. You are divided. You are conflicted. And you have to decide... 
daily and often moment by moment which side you're going to be on today. Which side you're going to listen to today. It's similar to what um, Martin Luther famously said. He said that a Christian is simultaneously a saint and a sinner. A Christian is simultaneously justified, righteous in the sight of God, and someone who does things that displease and dishonor God. That's true of all of us who belong to Jesus. None of us have yet reached the place where we no longer struggle with sin, where we no longer give in to sin. And what I want you to see is, when other people who aren't Christians give in to sin, it doesn't bother them very much. It really bothers Paul. He's, he's really cut up about it. He, he is trying to get his mind around it. He's trying to understand it because he wants to get free from it. And so if you're a, if you're a Christian and you're, you're cut up about these things you keep doing, these things you keep saying, these, these temptations you keep giving into, and you, you are wrestling with them, and you're frustrated by them, and you're angry at yourself, and you're, you want to get loose. What Paul is saying here is good news for you. Because sometimes when you're in that situation, you can think, I, I must just not even be a Christian. I mean, if I was a Christian, and I, and I really love Jesus, surely I would not be struggling with this anymore. Surely this would be easy for me. Surely I wouldn't fall into these kinds of things. And what Paul is telling us here, and what I am wanting to get across uh, to you and to myself, is if you are deeply bothered by this, that's probably a sign that you are a Christian and not a sign that you are not a Christian. Does that make sense? Because if you, if you come to me as your pastor and, and start pouring your heart out about all these things that you're, you're conflicted about, you're struggling with, you're, you don't know why you keep doing these things, um, my first reaction is probably not going to be, oh, I'm concerned that you're not saved. My first reaction is probably going to be, I understand. Me too. Right? Welcome to the battle. This, this, is, this is real life. But, but if I'm talking to somebody who professes to be a Christian and, and we start talking about sin and they're like, you know, I don't, I don't think I really, I mean, I guess I sin because everybody sins, but I mean, I can't remember the last time I sinned and I don't know, you know. I don't, my conscience doesn't bother me very often. I don't, I don't really think I, I mean, I think I'm a pretty decent guy. I think I'm doing pretty well at this whole Christian thing. I'm probably going to be way more concerned about that guy, right? Because, um, you know, if you don't think you're sinning hardly ever, um, then I'd have some questions about the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I mean, because... I don't know anybody who's so mature and so godly that they don't hardly ever sin. Uh, and if you do sin, the Holy Spirit's going to bother you about it. And so if you're not being bothered about anything, uh, that ought to bother you. Right? So, um, so Paul says he's deeply divided. 
He doesn't understand why he does what he does. He hates the things that he does. And there's some good news embedded in this, right, in verse 16. He says, now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So here again is is a sign that we're dealing with somebody who's a Christian. Paul says, I'm on the law's side. I think the law is good. I think what the law tells me to do is exactly what I ought to do. I just can't do it all the time. And I don't know why, but I know I ought to, and I know I want to. So I'm not shaking my fist at the law. I'm looking at my own heart thinking, what in the world is going on? So what we are um, often inclined to do, and especially people who are not Christians, is to grumble not about our own behavior, but to grumble about the law. Now, we want to, again, especially if you're not a Christian, you start bringing up, well, God says you shouldn't do this, God says you should Well, you know, it's not, I'm not the problem. You know, it, it's all those laws. You guys are trying to, you know, keep me from having any fun, and whatever, you want to put the blame on the law. But, <clears throat> For Christians, at least when we're thinking rightly, right, we know the problem is not the law. The problem is us. The problem is not what God has said. The problem is that we can't seem to do what we know is good that God has said. And we want to, but we can't seem to pull it off. So there's a difference, in other words, between I hate it when I get caught and... I hate it when I do the wrong thing, even if nobody else knows. When you hate simply doing the wrong thing, even if nobody else knows about it, that's a good thing. If you only hate being caught, then you can't say with Paul, I delight in the law of God. You just delight in not getting caught. You delight in doing what you want as long as you don't get in trouble. But if you delight in the law of God, then when you know you've broken it, you're going to be bothered about it, even if nobody else knows what you've done. The problem, as Paul boils it down, the problem is that we have sin dwelling inside of us. We know that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us as Christians, but we often forget that sin also dwells inside of us. Look at verse 17. He says, So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So Paul's saying sin is a power, it is a real thing, and it is present in my life. It's not just an external thing. There is sin dwelling in me, and that is the reason why I keep giving in to these temptations, why I keep doing the things that I'm not supposed to do. It's because of sin dwelling in me. Now, he doesn't say this to remove responsibility from himself. He's not saying, well, you can't blame me. You know, this is not, this is not like a sophisticated version of the devil made me do it. But what he's saying is 
that I now have a new identity, but I also have my old identity stuck to me. I've still got sin dwelling in me. I've still got my old self that I'm dragging around. But when I do the wrong thing and hate it, what that tells me is that is not me in terms of my new identity in Christ, who I am at the core. That is not me doing that. It's because sin is dwelling in me and deceiving me and at work in me that I, I do it. I do the thing I don't want to do, but at the root, that's not who I am. That's what he means when he says, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And he says the same thing again in verse 20. If I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Again, that's not him getting himself off the hook and saying, well, I'm not responsible. It's him telling himself and helping you tell yourself that when you have this new identity in Christ and you now love God's word and you want to please God, you want to do what God says, you want to follow Jesus, but you keep doing these sinful, foolish things and you don't know why and you're so frustrated and you hate it, but you keep doing it anyway. What Satan will tell you is the reason why you do those things is because that's who you are. And what Paul is saying is that's not who I am. That's not who I am. Now, I'm still responsible, but the reason I keep doing these things is because sin is present in me, at war with me, tempting me, deceiving me, tricking me, trying endlessly to get me to disobey God when that's not what I want to do, but I end up often doing that very thing, but... The fact that I don't want to signals that at the root, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. I'm a new creation. I'm a new creature. I belong to Jesus. So he says in verse 18, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Here's one of the places where I think he points us ahead to chapter 8, where he's going to talk about the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. He says, I know that nothing good dwells in me. Then he quickly says, well, I mean, in my flesh. Because something good does dwell in him. The Holy Spirit of God. So what he's saying is, left to myself, I'm a wreck, I'm a mess, I want to do the right thing. My heart's been changed, but I don't have the power on my own to do it. I don't have the power on my own to do the things that I want to do. And that's why I often do the very thing that I don't want to do. But in chapter 8, he's going to say the good news is we haven't been left entirely to ourselves. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. And that Holy Spirit enables us to put sin to death so that we can do what is right. But it requires us cooperating with and acting by the Spirit, which right now we don't do all the time. We don't do perfectly. Sometimes we do walk in step with the Spirit, and sometimes we listen to the lies that sin tells us and give into temptation. 
So Paul wants to encourage us, I think, even with what on one level is a really discouraging passage. You mean I'm going to be stuck like this for the rest of my life as a Christian, possibly? Wrestling with sin all the time? I mean, the sin you wrestle with might change. Right? You might have victory over one and something that used to, something that um, you, know, you felt like you were never going to get free from 10 years ago. Now you maybe haven't even been tempted in years, but you have other things that you're wrestling with now. It's part of living in the world, waiting for Christ to come, having the Spirit dwell inside of you, but not yet being a resurrected, immortal, completely delivered from sin, uh, member of the new creation, right? It's, we're in between the times. So Romans 7 gives us a, a, a sort of healthy, healthy dose of reality, especially if you are one of those people who's caught in a cycle of sin that Satan is using to make you think that you're not even saved in the first place. Because if he can convince you that your sin is who you are, then you'll quit fighting. You'll give up. And you'll just go along with it. But if you know that that's not who you are, if you know, I belong to Jesus and he has made me new, and yet sin still dwells in me, then when you sin and when you fall, you know where to turn and you'll know that you have hope. You'll know that your falls and your failures are not what define you. Remember that Jesus welcomed you when you were ungodly. When you turned to him and trusted in him, he forgave your sin and declared you righteous. And he made you new and he gave you the spirit, but he didn't make you perfect yet. You are not so utterly free from sin that it's possible for you to live sinlessly now. So take courage from the conflict. Be encouraged when your sin bothers you. Be reminded when you are frustrated and say with Paul, I don't understand why I do the things that I do. That's not a sign that you don't belong to Jesus. It's a sign that you do. Let's pray.